Welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rothersby, an experienced business consultant in the medical sphere, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this exciting medical world. Welcome to The Doctor Diaries. Today we're recording a new episode of the Call My Lawyer series, which has been a huge success. As with our four previous episodes, we address key legal considerations of the business of medicine. It is my pleasure to have my guest, Megan Warren, um, who is the principal lawyer at Burke Lawyers, who you'll find in Armidale, Victoria, Australia. Uh, Megan has provided excellent legal advice to my medical and health business clients over the years, and we both felt it would be beneficial to share our legal and business insights with our listeners on the Dr. Diaries podcast. But before I introduce Megan, uh, let me start with a quick disclaimer, provided, of course, by Burke Lawyers. It's great working with lawyers. <laughs> and just tick them. We'll dot the I's and cross the T's. So the quick disclaimer... The type of legal information that will be provided in each episode is of general nature and should not be considered as formal legal advice. If you do require assistance or have a legal question, please don't hesitate to reach out to Megan and her contact details will be found in the episode notes, which is fantastic. So in this fifth episode of Call My Lawyer, we're focusing on the topic of agreements specifically shareholder and unit holder agreements. So Megan, let's start off by giving our listeners a bit of an overview of what we mean by these agreements, how they differ from standard agreements and contracts and why they are important and who they are important for and what are the key purposes they serve. Thanks, Anya. Thanks for having me today for the opportunity. Um, A shareholder's agreement is simply um, an agreement or a legal contract by a company with its shareholders. So um, the shareholders of the company are the ones that own all of the the equity in in the company, so all of the issued shares. Uh, A unit holder agreement, slightly different but similar concept in that the the entity is different. So it's usually a company that acts as trustee of a trust. And then the unit holders are the ones that own the equity. So the trustee is usually the one that controls and carries out the management of the trust. Uh, So the purpose of these types of agreements is really to regulate the rights and obligations of of the operating entity with their interest holders. Other types of owner agreements are things like partnership agreements for a partnership, although you see those less to a lesser extent today. Uh, So there's there's many reasons why this type of agreement's really recommended. Um, Some of those are regulating the management and funding activities of the entity, uh, controlling the sale or transfer of shares or units, preventing disputes, which is one of the super important reasons. It really gives a roadmap for the shareholders about what to do if they can't reach agreement or they're not sure about the process for a certain issue. Uh, Also, it provides um, clarity about the rights and obligations of shareholders, so removing uncertainty around that for them. 
Um, also importantly, if the entity is looking to raise finance from investors or banks, those parties will often be interested to see whether there's a shareholder agreement in place. Uh, so that's really the main, I guess, why it should be on a business priority list. Yeah, look, um, I totally agree with you, Megan. So we, from a business perspective, so when we're working with clients to set up or grow or bring in other um, business partners, yeah. we often say to our um, clients, look, this is essentially another relationship. Yeah. <laughs> a marriage, another marriage. Another marriage. <laughs> and it's so true. And it's... Uh, what I like to say is it's really good to set up the rules of play yeah because that's what an agreement is 100% and do it during the honeymoon period yeah. when everybody's getting along yeah you know so that's great and that yeah. is really why because those types of agreements can slip through the net yeah until something happens they so, often do they yeah. often do so yeah so maybe Megan you know this agreement's really important to sort of say what the rules of play are but mm. what are just you know when you open your business it's also new and you're finding new terms and so what are some of the common terms included in agreements like this yeah yeah so importantly uh, at the outset it's good to set out what the objectives of the organization are so why are these shareholders coming together what's the purpose of the organization so things like setting out the mission perhaps the strategic goals if they're you know clear at that point um, it might be uh, things about expansion or maximizing the profitability of the business and also setting out how the company's going to carry on and conduct its business um, perhaps in accordance with sound business practice or something similar um, the corporate structure is really important to set out in these agreements. So um, specifically what types of shares and units there are, there might be different classes and there might be different rights attached to them. Um, for example, some might be voting shares, some might be non-voting shares. So that's really important to set out. And if there is any agreement about what the price of those shares and units are, which is always um, I guess one of the most prickly issues mm. to deal with. If you can get some sort of understanding about price early on, that will um, take a lot of pain out of things if there is a dispute about somebody leaving and what their, what their interests are worth down the track. Um, but hard to do. Hard to, to do. Hard to I do. know. <laughs> so in, on that point, yeah, I know, yeah. um, often I've seen, uh, not being a lawyer, but... Um, if you can't determine a price, mm. quite often I've seen that there is a process of um, how are we going to determine that price yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So if if it's not something that um, parties want to be held to in an agreement necessarily, like it might fluctuate over time, at least if they can get some agreement about how they're going to value that at a certain point in time, if they have a methodology or if it's just as simple as, We'll get, um, you know, two independent certified valuers and we'll take the average of the two or something at that point in time. Um, some sort of parameters is recommended rather than kind of nothing at all. Um, some well-established businesses do uh, each year. They actually go through a valuation process and have the business valued um, annually so that all of the shareholders know this is what the value is and if you want to leave this is what will be applied I mean that is ideal but you know can be costly for a business to do every year 
Um, other things that are important to include are things about funding. So um, usually the initial capital in um, a company or a trust is really only part of the funding for that entity. Ongoing there is likely to be additional funding that will be provided and that might be, for example, by way of a loan from the shareholders or it might be um, external funding from a bank where there might be guarantees and security required. So setting out what the agreement is about how that's to work. Um, one of the options might be uh, to that it's um, it might be compulsory for shareholders to inject capital into the company, uh, perhaps in accordance with their proportions if the directors determine that. That can be um, sometimes, I guess, um, controversial or um, a concern if, if the shareholders um, don't have sort of readily available access to capital, but that is um, often a requirement if, uh, if it's likely that further injection of capital is going to be needed. Uh, what else? Um, board of directors, so um, appointing and removing directors to the board. Uh, often the, right, the rights around that appointment, those appointments and removals um, should be specified in an owner agreement. So you'll have things like um, whether the shareholders have a right to appoint their own director so that they're represented on the board, uh, what sort of percentage of equity an interest holder needs to have before they have that right, um, and then how they're removed. So they could be automatically removed if um, there's some sort of misconduct or you know, some issue they're failing to meet, um, perhaps their KPIs as a, as a board member. Uh, so what else? I think um, what's really important to include is, is some terms around uh, management and decision making. So often you can set out a procedure for determining uh, what the business plan will be and the budget, how that's to happen, when that's to happen throughout the year. Um, within the budget, uh, setting out who's got authority to conduct the day-to-day -day activities based on that. So whether that's the managing director or general manager, CEO or perhaps their management teams as well. Um, and I think it is important to include some uh, agreement, if you can, around a dividend policy too. So agreeing at the outset, you know, what's the dividend policy or distribution of profits policy um, when that's going to happen each year and if there's perhaps if there's a formula that's to be applied for that um, that's a, another piece that that it's important to be clear about yeah from yeah. the outset yeah absolutely and uh, I think obviously that management and decision making is yeah sort of this is where you know we are both providing services in a different way but yeah. it's, uh, it's important to sort of know mm. know that so yeah. it's something that can be managed um, yeah. Because again, you can have agreements, and then they can how we're going to live these agreements yeah. can often get lost, yeah. and you yeah. don't see them until something occurs, like somebody wants to leave yeah. and those sorts of things, and yeah. that's when things are uncovered that yes. haven't been yes. maintained. That's right. That's right. I mean, to the extent you can um, be clear about really practical things in the day-to-day -day, um, management and who has authority and not either in the, the shareholder agreement or you can um, what's also good to have is a, a delegations register where you're clearly setting out who's got delegated authority to do what in terms of management within the organization mm. yeah great what about selling an owner's interest is this type of agreement where this is dealt with 
or what sort of methods are usually used for such a sale? Yes, yes. So um, short answer is yes. Um, These sorts of agreements would be where that's recorded. Um, Usually, if you don't have this sort of agreement, um, the position is to fall back to the sort of basic standard constitution or trustee that might exist, which will have usually a very, um, I guess, rudimentary basic method for transferring interest. So yes, absolutely, this is this is part of a shareholder agreement that will have a fair bit of work, I guess, in the drafting process. Um, so some of the options that we usually look at for clients are, um, so what's called a right of first refusal, or sometimes it's referred to as preemptive rights, which means uh, where a shareholder is looking to transfer their interest to a third party, they're often required to first uh offer those shares to the existing shareholders in their proportions um, so that essentially the existing shareholders have a first right to those shares. Um, Internal transfers, so I guess like related party type transfers, so usually that will be authorised without any need for the other shareholders to consent. So that gives shareholders the ability, say, if they're going to restructure their own personal group, their own personal entities, they can transfer their shareholding to another, as long as the kind of control and beneficiaries are the same. Um, Drag along rights, which are usually used for um, majority interest holders. So uh, where a majority holder, say, receives an offer to purchase all of their shares from a third party Um, what we can do is build in a right for that majority to essentially drag the minority along with that, force them to sell with them in that sale, join with them in that sale. Yeah, that's important. So you don't have the minority calling the shots. That's right. So, um, So, yeah, it often happens where say a larger corporate is looking to buy um, the whole entity but, you know, one of the shareholders is sort of not not wanting to do that, not wanting yeah. to be involved. So um, usually it will be that, that the minority can't be treated any differently to the majority, so it's everyone's the same price for the share, but um, essentially it enables them to sell the whole entity without any too much yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, and then another... Another option we look at is um, sometimes an initial lock-in period. So um, usually in the startup phase of the entity, uh, the agreement can include a term where there's any, no, there are no uh, transfers or sales that are allowed for a certain period of time, say for three years, to give the organisation the business time to really grow and you know, make a go of it. Um, so that gives some stability for the entity to overcome that sort of the startup difficulties. Uh, and then sometimes um, what it's also good to think about is ensuring that if there are sort of outgoing employees who are owners, that they um, are required to transfer their interest to the remaining owners if their employment ceases. So you might, in doing so, think about um, the difference between, say, people that leave in good circumstances or bad circumstances and whether that has any effect on the price of their shares that they receive. So whether it could be sort of fair market value for good leavers, but perhaps there's some sort of discount that's applied mm. to that if, if someone leaves in poor circumstances. Yeah. So it's really interesting yeah. because as, as this is just going through these terms show that you all start, you know, a business yeah. 
with enthusiasm and um, all with a positive attitude, but things happen. That's and right. you really need these agreements to account for these things, yeah. which is really great. Yeah, yeah. So um, how do these types of agreements sit with businesses who may want to offer shares or units to their employees as an incentive? Yeah, yeah, this is something that... Um, that we're seeing more and more. It's, it's quite a, a popular option in terms of retaining key staff. So um, absolutely the terms of any shareholder agreements that exist need to be considered really carefully if the business is looking to make that offer to their employees about how it sits with the current um, current rights of other shareholders. Um, it's something that uh, many businesses look at um, often if there are financial constraints, say with you know paying really high salaries, they might look at a mix of a salary and um, an equity offering. So, and it's also a way to um, attract talent and, and really build that owner mindset in, in the staff. Um, you, you, you engender that real sense of ownership within your team. Um, and you know, your staff are really then driven to achieve success for the business because as their as the business grows, essentially their equity will grow as yeah. well. Yeah, hundred percent. And look, to be honest, in um, you know for what I'm seeing with working with so many businesses, it's really hard to keep good talent. Mm. And because to be honest, it's an employee's market out yeah. there at the moment, yeah. and you you know, that sort of equity arrangement, profit yeah. share arrangement, those yeah. arrangements are more and more common now. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. And I, I think it's actually a good thing because you're only going to be sharing something that's going to grow and it's only that's going right. to grow because of that person. So right. it's a great right. way to go. It exactly, is. in terms yeah. of business development. Yeah. Um, but Megan, what if the owners get into a dispute? Does having this type of agreement in place help them? Um, that's the intention. Yes, <laughs> that is the intention, is to help in resolving disputes without the need for litigation. So um, the agreements should incorporate a mechanism for um, dispute resolution. Uh, a, a dispute can often happen between owners where there's, say, uh, a deadlock about a decision that that they um, maybe some of the directors seek to be made, but the others are, are against it. Um, so there's various alternatives that you can use um, in an agreement to sort of build a, a resolution of a deadlock. So things like um, referral to a mediator for resolution first, if the parties can't um, resolve the agreement, uh, the dispute, sorry, themselves. Um, it might be, so what's called a sale of shares by bid. So that's where each shareholder can make a bid to purchase all of the equity that's held by the other owners, um, essentially with the highest bid succeeding. Um, a chairman clause, which is about uh, where it enables one of the holders to become the chairman in the event of the deadlock to essentially have a casting vote to be the tiebreaker in the dispute. Um, a liquidation clause or a winding up clause, which is quite a, I guess, a drastic mm. measure, but it's really there um, Usually you would build it in as sort of a last resort. So if the parties have tried the other options to resolve the dispute and it's not working, well, um, the entity then, after a certain period of time that you stipulate, the um, entity will then need to be 
um, wound up essentially voluntarily with um, the interest holders sharing in their proportions the expenses um, in in liquidating the business and then they can share in any profits that are left after that. So it's really, yeah, as I say, last resort if the other avenues fail. Um, But sometimes I've seen plenty of disputes where the threat of that is the only way to... Yeah. <laughs> like, if we don't get this resolved, yeah. we have to yeah. liquidate. And no one really... <laughs> I mean, if it's a successful business um, that's trading well, I mean, if they can't... No, if there are some that don't want to sell and they can't, or they can't find another party to sell to, then um, having it wound up, no shareholder's going to receive you know, full market value for their mm. shares. They will, they will receive some, something that's much less. So it's not a, usually not an attractive option. No, it's best to avoid that. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, so it's, it's very interesting that whole, um, you know, the negotiations, you're negotiating with people that you've been in partnership or yeah. um, together with for a long time. So, mm. yes. Again, yeah, and you often know you quite well. Quite well, <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. It's not like buying a house. No, 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 but they don't know who you are. But no. you're, you're negotiating with people who know. You quite yeah, well. quite. It can get quite personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're Which just good hard. to sort of know the different mm. types of um, dispute options. Yeah, and um, that they're, they're they're written in. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, Megan, I hear a lot about restraints and non-compete terms from clients, questioning their enforceability. Um, are you able to tell us a little bit about these and what they mean? Yeah, sure. So um, often an own agreement will contain some terms by the shareholders, uh, perhaps uh, seeking to restrain them from being involved in any business or activity that's the same or similar or competitive with that business. Um, Or perhaps uh, going further to sort of do anything else prohibiting them from doing anything else that will detrimentally affect the business so um, like generally speaking goodwill is a legitimate interest in a business that may be protected by something like uh, restraint or non-solicitation type terms non-competition terms Um, however any terms in that way particularly restraints of trade restraint on an ability for somebody to work in their profession they have to be reasonable yeah so if they're a Mm. medical practitioner Mm. that specializes in something it's not reasonable to say you can't be a Mm. orthopedic surgeon once you leave here yeah so it depends it will depend on how um, the extent of that restraint so Mm. if it's um, you know you look at things like the the duration of the restraint how many years or how many months Um, the geographical area it might apply to and then also specifically what type of activities are restrained you look at that all together in the context of what sort of relationship it is so is it employment is it a independent contracting relationship is it a a shareholder shareholder to shareholder or shareholder to company relationship so all of those things um, are really important to look at in determining is this reasonable is this going no further than is reasonably necessary to protect the interests of the the party who's um, seeking to enforce the restraint so say the company Um, and the restraint also has to be certain so it can't be unclear or um, it's got to be very very certain about what's 
what the extent of the restraint is and what's sought to be protected. Mm-hmm. So, um, and just the way that courts will deal with these restraints too is that they won't um, vary a restraint or sort of redraft it if they don't agree with it. The effect of it will be that if they think it's unreasonable or unclear, then the entire um, clause will be void. Okay. Yeah, so that's why you often see those sort of cascading, you know, if it's not two years, it's one year. So it gives the court options to sort of go, okay, well, I don't think two years, but I'll go with that. It gives them flexibility because otherwise if it doesn't include that, the whole thing can be void and then the employer or the company is left with nothing basically. Um, so, so, I mean, overall, the law recognises that people have a right to earn an income and to use their skills, their profession, their knowledge for their own benefit. But of course, businesses also have the right to protect their proprietary interests and goodwill. So it's really about a balance between yeah. those two. Um, and unfortunately, it is that lawyer answer of it depends and it's <laughs> got to be and it's about reasonableness, which is really, <laughs> really... You know, really hard. You don't want to get have to get to a court to try and find out what that means in the context of the relationship. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, that's really it's it's actually quite clear, which yeah. is good. Um. So, anything else there in the restraint that we need to sort of look at? So, I think um, the only thing further that I would say is that uh, restraints in um have some so they have some characteristics that really set them apart from standard contract terms that's why they're um they get a lot of attention i guess and they're um a little trickier to craft and a little tricky to then advise on in terms of enforceability um and that's because they by their nature they give a benefit to one party by creating an obligation on them not to do something so it's for that reason it's not sort of a mutual exchange between the parties it's really an imposition by an obligation on one while the other one's not really doing anything in re- in return which is not that's not um doesn't really sit with the concept of a contract very well so it's for that reason that the courts don't view them very favorably right but that's not that doesn't mean that they're not ever going to be enforceable i suppose yeah it's a it's a careful balancing out and it depends it depends (laughs) because you're a lawyer (laughs) but I think what's important um, that's an important point is just because it is in the agreement it's not law that's right it's a guide that's right. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably saying the wrong word from well, a legal no but I mean just because something's in an agreement doesn't necessarily mean yes it's going to be enforceable it will depend on um, you know things like especially with restraints what were the circumstances leading up to that being drafted did each party have a lawyer did they negotiate about that restraint Um, and then how what is the effect of that restraint and how is it trying to restrain the party is that reasonable so there is there is a whole body of law that kind of sits behind And thank goodness we have you people who know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Years of study, years of study. Which is fantastic. Great. Um, So given the matters discussed in this podcast, it is critical that a means to protect and realise the investment of all equity holders, you seek professional advice before a business carries on 
a business entity carries on and conducts its business activities. So fantastic, Megan. Good that, that you're yeah. here constantly yeah, being help. updated on that. Yeah. And on to that, um, just for our listeners, by the time you hear this episode, Megan, you're off to an awards evening this evening. Tell us about that. I am. So, yes, so I've been nominated and I'm a finalist in Altma's um, general manager or manager, sorry, of the year for general contribution. So oh. outstanding contribution. So... Um, so hopefully I win tonight, um, but I've got some some really strong competitors in in the category. So it'll be a great night. Either oh, way. fantastic! Yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. even for the nomination. Thank you. So we'll let you know when we post the the actual episode how how Megan went. <laughs> but that's just amazing. So thank you so much. Thanks, Hania. Megan. Thank you for having once me. Once again. So this is episode five. Just for people listening of Call My Lawyer series and you're more than welcome to go back and listen to our previous four, which is fantastic. Great. Thanks for having me, Hanya. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Dr. Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.